action. Welcome to Taunt Stumps, the trash movie podcast with me, Robert Gershenson, photographer and head of podcasts at movetotrash.co.uk and Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. Based on the American novel The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald, this 2013 adaptation directed by Baz Luhrmann stars Tobey Maguire as Nick Carraway, a writer who narrates the life of Jay Gatsby, played here by Leonardo DiCaprio, who has a mysterious past and an unknown romantic connection to Daisy Buchanan, played here by Kerry Mulligan. Are you a Baz Luhrmann fan? Um, no. As a general rule, no. And especially after watching The Great Gatsby for a second time, Thanks for that, Rob. <laughs> uh, but you've never saw, you've never seen, but you've never seen Strictly Ballroom. I saw Strictly Ballroom a couple of years back, maybe maybe even like ten years ago, and I did I did enjoy it. Actually, I thought it was good fun, but I have very little memory of it. And I've then, never seen it. I've oh, never right. seen Strictly Ballroom. I've seen Romeo and Juliet, and I really love it. I think it's a, you know, I love a, a, a director who has a very strong visual style, a, a very strong vision. Um, you know, has a sort of pinpoint focus on what tone he or she wants and I think that film really displays um, an incredibly talented writer and visual director. Moulin Rouge I've never got past the first 20 minutes because I can't keep up with it. Well yeah it's the, I have friends who went absolutely crazy for Moulin Rouge when it came out mm. and I never got it I just didn't understand this kind of this wacky kind of frenetic really over the top like there's not a drop of subtlety in that film and I, I again I have very little memory of it because it just wasn't something that I that had any resonance with me whatsoever like people were so upset by the ending and stuff and I don't even know what the ending is but oh, yeah, I remember it being it. this this cultural thing you couldn't move for Moulin Rouge yeah it became it did become a, a kind of a phenomenon and it was things like Nicole Kidman in that red dress yes. and Ewan McGregor singing. That love medley and come yeah. what may. And then she went on to do the song with Robbie Williams. Oh yeah, she on did. On his Swing When You're Winning album. Yeah. And Kylie Minogue was the green fairy, that the absinthe oh, fairy yes. or something. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it just like, it, it was very clever in the way it kind of tapped into the culture of the time. Yeah, it was a zeitgeist thing. Yeah, all those great songs that got remixed into kind of a jukebox musical kind of yes. thing. It's, yeah. just, it's weird that they've never brought it to the stage, but Strictly Ballroom is on in London at the moment at the Piccadilly Theatre starring Will Young. Oh, yeah. Well, I guess Moulin Rouge, they just can't get the rights to the songs. Like, would they have, they'd have to pay the rights. Of so, course, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. Strictly Ballroom's not a musical. That's why RuPaul's Drag Race came off Netflix, right? Because they had all the rights issues with the songs. Is it not on Netflix anymore? No, seasons one to seven are no longer on Netflix. When? I know they just got yanked like two weeks ago. <laughs> oh God! Yeah, so you've got to you've got to watch. Those are the best. What like, yeah. like season like four through like three, four, five, and six? Yeah. are the best ones. I know, and now you've just got to put up with season eight and nine, oh, and then ten's ongoing. So. Jesus. Yeah. Um, but anyway, after Moulin Rouge, Baz Luhrmann did Australia, and I just had no interest in seeing that. That was another one where it was... You've seen it? Yeah, I saw it at the time, but I have very little memory of it apart from... Is there something with kangaroos? Like, jump, there must be kangaroos, it's Australia. 
But um, yeah, and of course, yeah. <laughs> but also Nicole Kidman doing this real like Nicole Kidman is doing an like, Australian accent. Yeah, exactly. I was like, what the fuck? No, she um, she's a great, great actress as yes. we have seen many to many times. But in Australia, she's doing this really kind of breathy, as she did in Moulin Rouge, this kind of breathy, exaggerated, um, kind of weird. I don't know. It's just really bizarre. She does it in Australia, and it it oh, it's just bizarre. Wasn't it meant to be like a big? Like swooping epic, like um, Gone with the Wind. I think that was the idea, yeah. And yeah, I, don't, I have very little memory of what actually happened in the film, apart from Hugh. There was a big fuss about Hugh Jackman getting his top off again. Again, I think, yeah. Just watch a Wolverine film. So, needless to say, he's he's quite a marmite director, um, Baz Luhrmann, and then he comes back with this, which is more in line with Moulin Rouge. And maybe a little bit of Romeo and Juliet because of the Leonardo DiCaprio uh, connection. Have you ever read the book? Oh, I love the book. Oh, yeah. Okay. I've never yeah. read it. Yeah. I read The Great Gatsby, I think the year before the film came out. And I absolutely love that book. It's oh, just the language. It's like language you can just feel Is it in your hand. Porn? Uh Well, I don't know. What, well, get, if you get your rocks off to it, maybe. But just like but, the fact that he's he's... Using the you know the craft and the skill yeah, of writing, too. it's gorgeous. It's really gorgeous, and that's partly why I was so upset with this film because they butcher so many of his lines. Like it's it's that thing where, like whenever. So I was thinking about why I don't like the Great Gatsby, the movie that uh, Baz Luhrmann made, and I was thinking about um, randomly Alien Resurrection, which is a film I do I do like, <laughs> but um, Joss Whedon who wrote it. He, he wrote Alien. Oh, he wrote Alien Resurrection. Yeah, yeah. He wrote Alien Resurrection. I did not know that. And when he came, when it came out, he basically disowned it, and he hates that film. And he said, and so people are like, oh, why? Like, did they change the script? Like, did they change what you'd written? And he was like, no, they didn't change a word. They just cast it wrong. They shot it wrong. They delivered the lines wrong. Everything about the production was wrong. And that's how I feel about The Great Gatsby by Baz Luhrmann because. The lines and a lot of the lines in the film are from his book. Yeah. And it essentially tells the same story from start to finish. Um, although with an odd framing device that they added in. But they just did everything wrong. Like everything about this adaptation is completely wrong. And it's infuriating and I hate it. <laughs> it's a really short book as well, isn't it? It's like, oh, yeah. what, barely 120 pages, yeah. if that. I mean, and this is a two and a half hour movie. Yeah. Maybe closer to three hours. It was... It's a long film. The first thing that struck me was that Tobey Maguire's in it. I always forget. Where the fuck has he been? I, oh, yeah, I know. Where has he been? I, I, my, I wrote down, Tobey Maguire is alive? Question he, mark. <laughs> he did that film Porn Sacrifice. P-A-W-N. Not. Never heard of it. He, uh, yeah, he did that a couple of years ago, which was like relatively big, but it was very indie. The last thing um, I heard he was doing was Sea Biscuit. That was, a, that was like 2003 or something, wasn't it? I haven't seen him in anything <laughs> since, but he's looking good. He's looking good in 2013 when this film came out. <laughs> oh yeah, good point. But it's like he's grown into his body because he yeah. never looked like he fit in. Yeah. That's why, that's why for me, he was never a, a, a good Peter Parker. He just didn't look the part. Yeah, he didn't look Parker. He, so, in this film though, I just, ugh, his narration really irritated me. Is that because you were basing it on the book? I mean, you were like comparing it to the book or? Well, no, just, just the narration. It's still like the narration is essentially what was written in the book. Yeah. They're all like mostly lines from the book, but, um, 
but the way he delivers them and it's just so dreary and and i and it this is one of the really bad things about the film is that it's so prescriptive so the narration says she lived across the bay and there's a shot that races across the bay to her house yes and he says he seemed to be reaching towards something out in the dark so there's a shot of leo reaching out in the dark it's like for <laughs> fuck's sake you don't He's need audio describing it for the yeah. blind <laughs> <laughs> but his character his character began to annoy me mm-hmm. as much as i think he's actually the better actor in the film, which is bizarre because Leonardo DiCaprio never gives a bad performance, even in bad films like The Beach, or maybe maybe saying bad films is a bit harsh, films that are slightly lacking, mm. like The Beach or Titanic. And those are the only two that I can think of. He doesn't really ever make bad decisions, mm. but he never gives a bad performance. Apart from maybe this film. I don't know. I don't think he's bad in this film. I just think what he's working with, he's yeah. doing the best with. But Toby Maguire is he gives a, a really great performance of what he's he's given, but his character is only there to narrate. It's a very passive character. He yeah. doesn't do anything for any of the characters apart from that time that he allows Jade to come over for tea so he can meet Daisy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's an observer. Yeah. And he's, he's, you know, he is narrating the story and he's writing about what has happened in that ridiculous framing device where he's in, in an asylum. That's not from the book. Is that not from the book? No, it's added in so that they can have the narration and get more of Fitzgerald's words, like his own words, into mm. the film. But they could have done uh, that without that framing device. He's writing yeah, it. Yeah. So he could have just been writing the book. He didn't even need to write a book. He could have just been narrating what he'd seen to... For no reason, like that's many films use that device. Yeah, but I mean, sometimes it can be troubling when someone's narrating for no reason. Mm. So it, it's nice they want to tie it up and have yeah. a reason for him to be narrating. True, but it didn't have to be in the same asylum. Was he? A, was he insane? Who or was he what, visiting? What was the point? No, he in was. That? He no, because he was being. That was his therapist. That crazy guy in the lab coat. Why did he need a therapist? Well, I guess because the trauma of Gatsby's death has pushed him over the edge. But that's yeah. not something from the book. That's just an idea that they they decided to. That's a Lermanism. They've contorted it into something that that suits their storytelling purpose. Do you not think though, to going back to Leo DiCaprio, how this kind of is weirdly like a spiritual sequel to Titanic? I was thinking that, like, yeah, because there's plays... a shot of him at the base of a yeah. grand staircase. Yeah, yeah, and then he obviously dies in the water. Yeah, um, but, but if he hadn't have died in the water, yeah. he could have become this rich, this rich guy in America. Well, yeah, because fundamentally, yeah, yeah, in Titanic, like fundamentally, they play. He plays the same character here, where he's a poor kid who tries to make it big. Yes, for love. Yes, um, <laughs> and inevitably it leads to tragedy because. Mm. According to Fitzgerald's kind of very pessimistic view of 1920 society, there is no way of breaking out of that that kind of very rigid, structured society. So even if you've you've got dreams of of going from kind of this poor kid to this um, you know very rich man, there's an element that he says there's an element of kind of artifice and in inauthenticity that. Is it results in tragedy? Was it written in the twenties? Yeah. So it's very. I mean, it's 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 of its own time. It's it's talking about the the contemporary society. So it's very knowing. It's almost because it, it the way you just described it sounds like someone looking back in hindsight. Yeah. No. It was written. So it's published in nineteen twenty five. 
and it's set three years earlier in 1922. Wow. But the, the but really... It's so, but it's so much about 20s culture. The, yeah. You know, the, the, the extravagance and the indulgence that leads up to the Great Depression. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's the hilarious thing is, like, Fitzgerald was so upset and sick with this this kind of society yeah and yet if he'd waited five years then he would have been given a real wake-up call and he did get a wake-up call i just found this film so exhausting it's like baz Luhrmann was so desperate not to make a stuffy british version of a period drama that he went to the absolute opposite extreme yes. and made essentially a bad hip-hop video Yes. Like he's so desperate to be cool and edgy and flashy and exciting. There is a sense that he is trying to recapture that Moulin Rouge zeitgeist. Yeah. And you can't force lightning to strike twice. Mm -hmm. It either does or it doesn't. Well, this feels like a parody of Romeo and Juliet. And and Moulin Rouge. Yeah. And yeah, sorry. And and Moulin Rouge as well. It It feels like a director who thought he'd figured out the formula and tried to do it again. But just went to such extreme lengths of kind of extravagance Mm. that like Romeo and Juliet was so, so hugely rooted in its own reality. So you've got like the dusty kind of terrain and and the, the real buildings and all that. And in great Gatsby, Gatsby is rich. Therefore he lives in a fucking castle. It's (laughs) utterly ridiculous and it's infuriating. It's not, and it's not just like a castle. I everything had this plastic sheen to it because yeah. the whole thing was shot green screen but maybe like the backdrops are green screen and then maybe they'd have like in the studio the real pavement so they can walk on that and it gave it this horrible CGI'd preciseness to it so every camera move is so damn precise mm-hmm. and the way it zooms across the bay and zooms back it just felt like a really hideous, bad perfume advert. At That's times. exactly what I was going to say. It, <laughs> it was like Chanel number Gatsby. Yeah, but like, it just felt so cheap. Yeah. Which is weird because they're so fucking rich. That's exactly what I wrote down is it looks so cheap because Lerman wasn't content with anything being subtle or, or kind of unglitzy so everything is glitzy everything has to be cgi to give it this ethereal kind of otherworldly look yeah but that means that it just ends up looking cheap because he's stretched the budget too thinly over the entire film uh-huh. so even in the the workshop where the mechanic works jason clark who plays george wilson he's like working on this car and then behind him it's so obviously a green screen and it's like why yes i know that you're trying to create 1920s New York but you don't need to see New York all the time yes he's working in a fucking workshop it's just hideous oh <laughs> just I, I just felt have we learned nothing from the Star Wars prequels yeah where if you want to have these fantastical worlds there needs to be some seamlessness between the actors who are stood in front of the green screen and the world behind mm. that is depicted on the green screen in post there's a real divide there. And if you're going to do that, why not just do rear projection like they did in the old days? Yeah, that would be great because... At least that would give it a cool retro yeah. aesthetic as opposed to this video game bullshit. Like in RuPaul, where they take, you know, some shitty 
crazy beach backdrop and they just drop the queens in front yeah. and it looks shit yeah it's meant to it's, it's meant funny. to look shit yeah. you know the great gatsby is not far off that it just got a couple of hundred bucks extra yeah everything is so heavily weighted that nothing feels heavy so no, the it, entire it, thing floats off on this cgi cloud yes it feels, it, it feels so light and it feels so tacky and yeah. everything is so lit yeah like not lit as in like hashtag i'm so lit everything is just lit to death it looks like, like the a darkest terrible... the darkest darkest points are still fucking bright and it there's feels no... like a sitcom it feels like a yeah. really bad sitcom there's, there's no there's no balance there's no there's nothing is allowed to breathe either in the pacing the editing or the lighting the aesthetics yeah the only way I can describe Baz Luhrmann's style, there's two ways that I came up with. The first is, have you ever heard of a, a Jim Steinman meatloaf song called Everything Louder Than Everything Else? No. It's as if Baz Luhrmann has gone into the room and, he, and he's given his direction. And he says, everyone on the left of the room, I want you to be at level 10. Everyone on the right of the room, I want you to be at level 20. Then they'll turn back to the people on the left of the room and go, I want you guys to be level 30. Then they'll turn back to the people on the right-hand side of the room and go, I want you to be 40. And you guys oh 50, 60, 70, 80. Where do you stop? Yeah. One side has to be louder. It can't just constantly be this cacophony of noise and images and action. Yeah. Because if you don't allow anything to breathe, then it all seems the same speed. Yeah. By comparison, this film could be considered very, very slow compared to another film, or this film could be, as it is, stupidly fucking fast <laughs> compared to every other film. Yeah. Because there's within the film, there's no comparisons between no. what is fast and what is slow. Yeah, even even Leo going for a drive, you know, early on. Yeah. He's racing and and he's all flash and whiz bang and it's like can't they just go for a drive are there even driving scenes in the book oh yeah well yeah because they drive between the man the mansions and, and but are New they York. having these conversations back and forth i in think the car? so yeah those car scenes annoyed me because they're clearly cgi'd yeah there's no wind in their hair the hats are staying on the shirts are not getting ruffled they're stationary. And yet they're going studio, 200 miles an and hour. And yet they're going 200 miles per hour. <laughs> the other way that I, I describe um, Baz Luhrmann's style. Do you know what milking is? Uh, what, milking it? It's a sexual act. Do oh. you know what it is? <laughs> I can guess, but tell me. So a man or a woman will wank a man off. Right. And once the guy has come, the person doing the wanking doesn't stop. They just keep wanking. Wow. Until the person gets fully hard again. And comes. Oh my god. And then they keep going. Oh god. And then it's they come torture. again. And they keep going and they come again and they keep going. It's called milking, as if you're milking a cow. Oh. This is what Baz Luhrmann's doing. Yeah. He he cranks up the energy of a scene to a point where it should peak and then peter out and mm. you're allowed time to breathe before you know you bring it back up. Mm. You know, peaks and troughs, peaks and troughs. Action films follow this. Yeah. They've been doing this for a century now. But he gets to the point where he knows the scene is peaking and the audience needs a break and he goes, fuck them. And he pushes it up yeah. 100% more. He's literally milking me and I'm empty <laughs> and I've got nothing left to give. So I either uh, completely surrender and I can't follow the film. I can't keep up with the film like Moulin Rouge or I just walk away yeah. like I did 
Moulin Rouge. Yeah. The only reason I watched this film all the way to the end is because we're doing it on the podcast. Ordinarily, I would have turned this film off. Yeah. I would have turned this film off within the first 15 minutes. Because I, I, I even wrote down in my notes, 16 minutes in, what is the story here? Mm. What is the story? It's so much set up and it takes half an hour for us to even meet Jay Gatsby. Yeah, well, that's that happens in the book as well. It's kind of his his myth and his legend is built up before we meet him in the story. So that's that's something from the book. But um, I get that, and probably in the book, it's quite appealing. Yeah, here yeah. there's there's no layers, there's no depth, nothing is being given to me. I don't give a shit, and the only reason I cared about the fact that we suddenly got to see. Gatsby is because it was Leo and mm. I really really like Leo yeah but it's ridiculous because by by the nature of film we know who Gatsby is going to be so we know it's Leo so when he turns up and it's like Rhapsody in Blue is playing and those fireworks all go off and it's just kind of ridiculously over the top it's like yeah we knew it was Leo uh, I didn't mind his reveal too much I hated it because he's like just slightly off camera and then he turns around and he's holding the glass up and he's addressing the audience because he's basically looking in the camera. Mm. I thought that was reasonably ballsy and sort of fourth wall breaking meta. Almost as if Baz Luhrmann is saying, this should be a mystery to you, Mr. and Mrs. Viewer. Mm. But you're right, it's not because it's Leo <laughs> fucking Caprio. Yeah. I read a review, I think it was maybe Sight and Sound. Where they were... Ooh, fancy. Yeah, I know. It was like the first one on the list. Um, and they were kind of... The reason they liked the film, they said, is because we got to see Leo smile. We've seen him smile before. But because before that, we he had played all these miserable roles where he, you know, was just... He was kind of trying to desperately kill that kind of heartthrob image that he yeah. had. And so he was kind of doing things like Gangs of New York and like The Departed and Blood Diamond where it's all quite heavy and he's quite miserable in all of it. Um, like Django Unchained, he plays that. He's great in Django Unchained. Is that a villain? Was Django before this? Yeah, yeah, it was just the year before this. Wolf of Wall Street, after? Was the same year as, as Same Gatsby. year. What came yeah. out first? Oh, I don't know, actually. Should I have a look? This, so this was May. So this came out pretty much five years ago to the, to the week of us recording so now. this. Yeah. And then... Uh, Wolf of Wall Street actually came out the first month of 2014. Right. But um, So after this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But um, See, the Wolf of Wall Street does it so much better. If we're talking about if we're talking about stories about piss poor Americans making it big and powerful and having it all crumble because of indulgence and a complete abuse of their power. Citizen Kane did it. That's that's the original bad boy. Mm. Goodfellas and the Wolf of Wall Street. They do it so much better than this. There's just no humanity to this film. Mm. I think Fitzgerald was kind of desperately trying to find the humanity amid the excess. And this film, this film felt like Sex and the City 2, which is like... Really? Yeah. Well, Sex and the City 2 came out when we had our recession. And uh, Michael Patrick King, who, who wrote and directed that film, he thought, oh, we're in a recession. We need to have... A Sex and the City 2 where it's like celebrating, um, you know, excess and like massive dresses and, and like diamonds and exotic holidays. And it's like, that is no. the worst <laughs> possible time to do that. That is, that is the reason why I hated 
the social network when it came out. Oh, really? Because everyone was on their ass. Everyone was piss poor. People were going bankrupt. Mm. The bankers were winning and we were, being, we were picking up the bill. And then suddenly this movie came out where you've got white privileged people fighting over money mm. and they were expecting us to sympathize with the Winklevi <laughs> yeah. and um spider-man's character i can't remember andrew garfield's character i can't remember what his name is angelo or or something so it just wasn't appropriate yeah and like this felt like baz lerman it feels like he completely missed the point mm. in a story that's meant to be looking at the degradation behind excesses and kind of the depravity of it all it then celebrates it to an absolute milking extreme yeah and it's just like what are you doing like this is not about celebrating these excesses and making them into a joke and making them into like a something to like a party it's, yeah it's about the absolute depravity of it all but yet he tries to bypass that and make it into he tries to make it into the great american romance mm. story and that's that's why i don't think it hits home because i was thinking is this film a mystery about gatsby is this a romance between gatsby and daisy or is this movie about the obsession of toby Maguire and his obsession for gatsby and therefore the world that gatsby has built for himself because all these parties are organized by Gatsby as a way of hopefully meeting Daisy. Yeah. You think after five years, she's not coming to the party across the bay, but they never explain why. Yeah. The, the, I don't know. I don't know how much has been written about the depiction of Daisy because she's in the film. She's such a troubling character. And I think in the book she is as well. She's a rich girl who wants to marry into money. Um, but she can't marry her, her true love Gatsby because he's not rich. And so he goes off and... Is that why? Yes. Yeah, because so it's he, never explained in this film. It doesn't, this one doesn't commit well, to a single storyline and follow it through uh, yeah. like properly. I, the information, which is weird for a Baz Luhrmann film because there's so much information exactly, at 100 overload. miles per hour. But all of it, it's almost like he's shooting it out of a cannon and before it reaches the screen it falls to the floor and doesn't reach my <laughs> eyes and ears yeah well because there, there were lines in the film that explained that but it's it's just kind of encased in utter shit <laughs> yeah so she she was trying to marry into money but she couldn't marry gatsby because he didn't have any money is that was her a choice boy. or someone else's money it was her oh, choice sorry, her choice or someone else's choice it was her choice but it's kind of like she was bowing to social pressures right um, and nowadays you could argue let's be happy and poor together. But yeah. in those days of ex excess, and if you don't have money, you're nobody. You can understand where she's coming from. We need the money, Rose. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> that. Um, Your so father you left us with nothing. <laughs> <laughs> the through line should be this romance, but it just gets completely lost in the flash and the bang. That it everything, you know, you don't know what you're supposed to be focusing on. That's mm. what I meant when I said that everything is so weighted that you don't, you don't know what to look at because you're constantly being distracted by everything. No, I don't think anything's weighted. You're talking about like the, the impact of... Everything is so heavy in this film, therefore nothing is. Yes. So you're like, what yes. am I supposed to care about? What am I supposed to be giving my attention to? But also mingled in that is the fact that I don't think he understood the story that he was trying to tell. It doesn't feel that way at all, yeah. It feels like he completely misinterpreted it as kind of this party film. The only thing that the film does effectively, 
but only because I think it's something that the book does effectively, is that it captures how male infidelity is hashtag normal, whereas female infidelity is unforgivable and deviant and basically kind of seen as a crime. But doesn't he take Daisy back? Well, she's married. But he could kick her to the side. He could yeah. divorce her. But by that point, it, it's more like this kind of ownership thing, isn't it? It's like, yeah. she's my property. How dare you? But how spineless of her to, as soon as Jay loses his temper, yeah, she, in a flash, back to the husband. So does yeah. she even love him? She's really spineless in that respect. Yeah, she is. It's, it's, yeah, you're kind of like, well, of course he's really upset. Your husband's just been yelling at him and calling him a fraud for the last hour. You're right. It's definitely about ownership, that thread. Because the conversation between Gatsby and Daisy's husband with her in the room is as if they're talking as if she's not in the room where, you know, he's saying, you know, she's going to come with me now. She loves me now. She doesn't love you. She never loved you. Yeah, exactly. That's I know it's kind of it's really cringy where they're having all these conversations about their 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 property, essentially. And it just really awkward and, and gross but <laughs> you know oddly totally acceptable in the 20s yeah yeah because they were seen as you know people were married into into wedlock because they wanted to make some kind of social statement or yeah. or something what do you make of the music what do you make of taking popular songs of the sort of the 70s and now and turning them into jazz classics yeah yeah like the whole anachronistic thing where like Alicia Keys kind of played like tinkled a little bit when they were driving into New York and it's like New York and all that. I don't know, just... But turning them into, not not having the contemporary versions, but making new mm. jazz versions of them. Um, I don't know, it just, it just felt like another kind of desperate, desperately clutching at kind of coolness. It just felt like it, it was, it was there. I didn't Roots really... Roots of desperation. Yeah, a little bit. Like the the musical score, I thought was actually quite beautiful. And there there are a few moments towards the beginning where, when it the you know the camera flies across the bay, the CGI camera flies across the bay. Um, there's some lovely musical score going on there, but the actual music itself, I I didn't really notice it to be honest because my my eyes were getting exploded <laughs> by what was going on on screen. I I didn't mind the idea because I I think what he was trying to do was say. The 20s, and I think I agree with him on this one, of all the fashion styles of, let's say, the last 100 years or so, the 20s is the one that seems to be most relevant even now. It seems to be the one that has has stood the test of time and has, has become classic. It's gone from being fashion to style. Fashion is fleeting, style is forever. People still dress in... 20s style now and they don't and they do it unironically it's not hen party dressing up as a flapper girl it's i'm going to a wedding i am literally wearing a flapper girl dress but it's like a modern take on it so i think the 20s is still considered quite contemporary so by mixing contemporary songs with the classical jazz 1920s style is a way of musically fusing those two together. Mm. And I quite enjoyed it. I really... And it, and it made me stumble onto Brian Ferry himself re-recording a load of Roxy Music songs as jazz standards. Mm. And I fucking love his version of Love is the Drug. 
Who is it? Brian Ferry. Oh, I don't from know. Oxy Music. Oh, okay. I think if I listened to the soundtrack on its own, I probably would enjoy it because I do like a bit of jazz and a bit of yes. Songs so I've only watched the film once, but I've listened to various songs oh, really? over and over. But the fact that he's taken songs that are more contemporary to our times than they are to the twenties means that as the years go on and the twenties gets further and further away, so do those contemporary <laughs> songs. So the idea of taking a contemporary song and making it like a fashion statement, that effect gets less and less and less as the years roll on. We're already mm. five years away from the film. Yeah. Crazy in Love was already an old song. You know, they did Crazy in Love with Brian Ferry as well. But that was already an old song at the time the film came out. Five years on, it's already older. That that idea of using contemporary songs always dates a film. It's like, I never, you'll never ever see a contemporary car in any of my photos Mm. because a car will always immediately date your photo. I can have a classic car come in because classic cars, again, move away from fashion and go to style. Yeah, it just makes it even more incongruous, I think, because... Yeah, in like 20 years' time, people will watch this film. Hope, well, I hope and they don't. Saying, they'll say, who the fuck's Beyonce? Exactly. No, well, they won't be saying that, that's for sure. <laughs> no, but they, but they might. They will say, okay, so that's Beyonce's classic song, but that song is old. Yeah. The biggest strength of this film is the production design and the costume design. Yeah. It's just exquisite Mm -hmm. and it's not surprising because Baz Luhrmann is very connected to fashion I was watching that I think it's the I think it's a documentary called The First Monday in Maine it's about the Met Ball yeah and they were doing something fashion stuff some fashion-y stuff and they were following the people who organised the Met Ball and Baz Luhrmann was involved as creative director and that didn't surprise me because he does have a very aesthetic eye he's got a good eye for aesthetics not necessarily for depth <laughs> and that is fashion. <laughs> that is fashion in a nutshell. Yeah. So the costumes I thought were gorgeous, and if I had the money, I would dress like that every single day. Dapper as fuck. But it, it, it just gorgeous. You know, every no one can look shit in those costumes. Yeah. And no one can look. I mean, no not one even was a, Toby Maguire. <laughs> even Toby Maguire. No one was allowed to look shit, and no location was allowed to look shit. Even his big castle obviously had to be the best looking, you know, big fuck off castle. But even when they did the flashbacks and he was living in a shitty shack, (laughs) it was the best looking shitty shack on the road. That was my house. (laughs) But there's been an adaptation before. Yeah. It was with Robert Redford. So I wonder what the next adaptation will be. Close to the book, maybe like that Robert Redford film, or will it be another zany bullshit wank fest like this i think it'll be a tv series like peaky blinders i think it'll be like a mini a netflix mini series that is far more interested in actually representing that time and kind of the 20s as they were rather than this kind of pantomime disco that baz Luhrmann dreamt up because it will allow the story to breathe and that mystery Mm -hmm. to really to really grow yeah you don't even need to introduce the character of the great gatsby for you know, maybe till the end of the first season. <laughs> really? Yeah. Because really, it's not... No, I It's not so much about 
him at the beginning. It's more yeah. about everyone's reaction to him. So you can have a full season where you don't even see the great Gatsby. And then he's at the end of the first season. And that can be the big cliffhanger that kicks off the second season mm. when we introduce, you know, his backstory. Maybe they would either they would do that where the mystery they wouldn't actually release who is playing Gatsby for the yeah. first season or they would show Gatsby dead in the first episode. So like a Citizen Kane. Yeah. So you're kind of like, what happened to Gatsby? His death. You know, when he was like in the swimming pool and the camera was looking up and then mm. uh, you could see like reporters or people standing by the pool. You know where that was lifted from? Romeo and Juliet? No. <laughs> that was stolen from oh, Sunset um, Boulevard. Yes, I was going to say, yeah. yeah. Which oh, is yeah. a much greater film about power and yeah. excess and longing and not wanting to fade into the background. And it didn't involve someone saying, old sport, every two seconds. Oh my God, that was so fucking annoying. So that was The Great Gatsby, directed by Baz Luhrmann. Did you think The Great Gatsby was great? Or did you... Did it grate on your nerves? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know at Torn Stubbs Pod. If you like what we do, subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you like film, TV, music and culture, head to www.movetotrash.co.uk. We're off to do the Charleston. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning. Cut. <laughs>